At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf and Simon. And away we go. Hello and welcome to Three Yards for Carry, a Miami Dolphins podcast in association with the Five Reasons Sports Network. I'm Simon Clancy and I'm joined as always by my friends Chris Kaufman and Alfredo Artiega. Evening, gents. Hello. Evening. So this week we're going to get down and dirty on the defensive side of the ball, the Dolphins and the draft prospects, and we'll rekindle a little back and forth we had on WhatsApp about 90 minutes ago. We'll get to the news in a minute, but as is our sort of MO, a little sort of cultural chat, we've done Michael Bolton, we've done Boys to Men, we, last week we were in the best Bill Murray movies. The return of all or nothing this week, gentlemen, with, with the Dallas Cowboys to Amazon Prime. So one question. All or nothing or hard knocks? Hard knock. Really? What about nothing? <laughs> nothing or nothing. <laughs> Why hard knocks, Al? I think it's the, the production is just great, and you get Lee Schreiber doing the, the narration. But All or Nothing is a beautiful piece of work. I've only uh, seen that's... a couple episodes. Okay. I mean, you need to watch, like, a couple of series. <laughs> well, I've seen I've seen them both. I, I I had a thing for for Hard Knocks. It was all right, but... Um, you boys. I, 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 I'm, I, not, I'm not sure. I'm not I sure I like with... it, period, though. Did you see the Michigan All or Nothing? No, I did no, not. I didn't. You t- I, I, seriously, that's the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you would go to a Michael Bolton concert, but you Wait. would not watch All or Nothing. I'm... I'm are you assigning us homework now (laughs) pretty much this time next week i want to pracy on the first two seasons of all or nothing ridiculous i gotta look it up and it's on amazon prime it is okay so so you're the one who's making jeff bezos so rich do you know jeff bezos announced today that 100 million people are signed up to amazon prime imagine that cash he's earning and he's not going to stop until it's 100 trillion people no wonder the president hates him (laughs) (laughs) right Anyway, so I think I'm some... officially not allowed to comment on this, uh, uh, yeah. this yeah. subject. Yeah, I'm allowed to do it, so I'm good. Listen, <laughs> you, thanks for listening every week. You've been sending your questions in on Twitter using the hashtag three yards, or you've been sending them to myself at Cyclancy, to Chris at CK Parrot, or at Uptown Report. Mike sent us a question. Do we have any clue about the schedule and who the Dolphins might play in week one? And Chris, we've got a little insider, haven't we? Yeah, we got a little bit of uh, information from somebody who works at CBS. And while we can't say who the Dolphins will be playing for sure, we do know that the Dolphins are one of a couple of teams uh, that have requested, made some special requests for week one uh, with respect to Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish holiday, and uh, they want to play their game early, either at home or on the road. Either way, they want to play early, but specifically they're asking for a home game in week one, and part of it is because of the way that they the way that last season played out with the hurricane in week one and and their bye week. So they've requested the home game in week one, an early game and for a late bye week. That's what they're, that's what they're angling for. And who knows whether the league's going to give it to them, but uh, that's what they're going for right now. And now if we seem to have a bit of a, a a sort of a league exclusive potentially on who the opening night game of the season could be from our, from our same friend, uh, you want to let the audience know who we feel like game one is going to be on, on Thursday night? Minnesota the versus Eagles. the Eagles. There you go, people. In Philadelphia. Against the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. You heard it here literally first. And That's I have kind of... a little information who the Dolphins' opponent might be in week one. There we go. Go on. Jaguars. There you go. You don't get this information on ESPN or the Ringer or, you know, come here to get this sort of information. Keep getting in touch with us. As I say, those are our Twitter handles or you can use the hashtag three yards. EJK101, thank you for your uh, tweet to me he asks 
given all the news and all the smoke, kind of the draft smoke machine and the massive gap there is between the combine and the draft, and we just carry on talking and talking and talking endlessly, is Josh Rosen really going to be there at 11? And if he is, will the Dolphins take him? Boys, what do you think? Well, I'll start this one out. I think that uh, before I'd have said no chance. Uh, now I think that it's real, that he might actually make it there. And I think that it's because, I think it's silly, but I think it's because of this thing that he has where he's spoken out about politics and spoken out about social issues and and particularly with the NCAA and paying players and and stuff like that. He spoke out against his own team really. He he recognizes that it was a stupid thing to do, but you know, he talked about the um the deal that they did with Under Armour. And I think that teams, some teams especially if you're say the Buffalo Bills and you're in upstate New York, which is not the same as the rest of or as the uh New York City proper, uh politically speaking, and you have a star quarterback that's wearing an F Trump hat. You know, I, I think that, um, that that might actually be a consideration for them, even though it's silly and stupid. Uh, this is this is a silly and stupid league sometimes. And we've talked about this before that these guys make decisions about uh, draft decisions in general, but quarterback decisions over the stupidest and silliest stuff that you could imagine. I mean, you, sh- you should be making the evaluation based on the tape, but we know that sometimes they don't. Alf, I've got two questions for you. Hmm. Matt Miller, the very respected uh, Bleach Report draft uh, guy, had a fascinating uh, interview, series of interviews this week with scouts talking about the Rosen question, about the personality question. One scout in particular said that there was a concern in his team because Rosen was seen as a millennial. Now, isn't everybody, so question one is, isn't everybody entering this draft a millennial by the very (laughs) nature of the fact that they were so, you know, (laughs) How do you answer that? How do you answer that charge? But point two is that, and Chris made the point about Josh talking out about Josh Rosen talking out about certain issues, certain social issues. He has certain interests in politics, and he comes from a very wealthy. Family. Are we just glossing over the fact that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and all these other people have interests outside of football? They have a hinterland. They have all these other things that going on in their lives. Do uh, do we really believe that these you know high profile players that are currently in the league don't have this? That that Rosen is any less interested in football just because he's interested in Wall Street, or he he's interested in what Elon Musk is doing, or he re- reads you know books by Neil deGrasse Tyson? I mean, really, is that the situation that we're at what do you think on that well if he, if he reads books by neil degrasse tyson then i'm out but, <laughs> but i'll tell you this what i've seen in the last two weeks is you need a, some science okay you do need some science and neil degrasse tyson is an absolute dude and he loves the nfl <laughs> it's been a steady stream for two weeks of negative rosen stories and it two, just two years well, <laughs> well but a really steady strong stream of garbage for two weeks and i can't help but think that it's all planted certain agents maybe josh Allen's agent, maybe Baker Mayfield's agent, maybe Lamar Jackson's agent. Maybe all all this stuff is being planted to hurt this kid. And it's beginning to look a lot like Aaron Rodgers again. See, Peter King tweeted something yesterday or the day before. Just one sentence. Do not believe anything you are currently hearing. And yet we fall into the same... Chris, you and I have known each other for... Yeah, Oh well, but Chris, you and I have known each other for 20, 18, 20 years maybe? How... Every year... We talk about the draft smoke. Don't fall for the draft smoke machine. Don't fall for the draft smoke machine. And it feels like this year we're doing exactly the same thing. We're falling for the draft smoke machine. But, you know, I think that in our defense, it's because it's because there is actually some real stuff going on out there. And we do, right around this time, we start to hear some things that do end up actually being true. And especially, I think, the, the flow of information that ends up being the most accurate is probably right around the 48-hour window uh, before the draft. And so, yeah, we keep coming back because, yeah, we keep getting burned, but, yeah, also we keep hearing every now and then things that are actually true. And we love it. And we love it, yeah. But I, I think that with respect to Josh Rosen, yeah, it could be convenient. It could be the Bills putting stuff out because they really would love to see Josh Rosen fall to them at 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so I who knows? I'll tell you who else could be putting stuff out as well. The New England Patriot, including including, uh, you know, who knows, even if this thing with Tom Brady is accurate, you know, this the spat that's developing and with Tom Brady has not committed to playing 
the 2018 season and all that stuff. You know, who who even knows if that's accurate with that? Yeah, because that's they're... what it is. <laughs> Listen, well, Alf, you've already you've already proclaimed their death, so it doesn't yeah. matter to you. But yeah, uh... well, they're in hospice right now. <laughs> Listen, let's get to some real Miami Dolphins news just a little bit. The signing of tight end Gavin Escobar, drafted in the third round by the Dallas Cowboys a few years ago. Is he just a guy, or is he going to make the team? Well, I find him really, really interesting because if you watch him play, and I watch a lot of Cowboy games because I have a my best friend's a huge Cowboy fan. And I thought you were going to say my best friend's a Cowboy, which would have been brilliant. Yeah, that would that would have worked better on this podcast. Steps and boots. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I watch almost too much Cowboys, and if you watch him play, you'll see him today play against, let's say, the New York Giants, and he'll look like a million bucks. And if you key in on him. He can block, he can run routes, he catches the ball at the highest point. He can run with it after he catches it. And then you catch yourself watching another Cowboys game 14 weeks later, and you're like, uh, where was Gavin Escobar the last 13 weeks? So, A little more like Pablo Escobar at times. Yeah, so I would I would lean heavily toward just a guy, which means he's just like everybody else that can look great when you watch him once, and then you never see from him again. So, But, you know, can we do a lot worse as a third tight end? Yeah. I think we can. I'm, I was just chime in real quick. I'm, I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a sell on him. Uh, I was never that big of a fan of him coming out of college, and I think that whenever I watch him, he just kind of looks stiff as a board, and and I don't necessarily like his his hands and and how great he is at catching the football. Uh, there might be some blocking value there, but it I that's because I haven't really caught up with his blocking since he joined the NFL, but I'm going to be a sell there. I don't think that impacts anything. I, I agree. He's a stiff guy. And uh, from this point forward, he shall only be known as Pablo. That's it. That's it. Pablo. And in fact, we can make t-shirts up. Dog into t-shirts, Tannehill taint towels, and Pablo Escobar t-shirts. Right. We're going to get in trouble. We are. But, hey, bring it on. One of these Listen, days. One of these days. Listen, about 90 minutes ago, I was in the gym. Just want to put that out there. I was in the gym. Chris was probably putting his daughter to bed. Lord only knows what Alf was doing. But we had a fairly uh, heated discussion on WhatsApp around uh, a few specific issues with the draft, which we'll get into in Section 3 about the draft. But I just want to touch upon this now because it's, it's quite interesting, a bit newsy, a bit kind of drafty, gossipy, which is kind of what we're all about at this, this time of the year. Suppose we'll call this a make-your-case section. And Chris, there's a particular player at around 11 that you kind of have been watching a lot more of, doing a bit of a deep dive this week that you really want to kind of go to town on, a name that's beginning to be linked a little bit more. So make your case, Christopher. Well, I think that a lot of people are discounting uh, the defensive tackle out of Washington Vita Vea oh, uh, as the Dolphins as the Dolphins pick and and here we go right here and this is just fans out there that are saying you know ah we you know we we just got rid of Sue let's not let's not go there and I, I think that part of this is really that the fan base and us in general and I'm guilty of it too we kind of are, are still in the stage of denial on the fact that Indomitian Sue is not here we've got a guy that had 900 snaps last year on the defensive line and playing at an all-pro level, and he, he was here not just last year. I mean, he was playing 900 to 950 snaps a year for the last couple three years, and he was playing at an all-pro level, and he is not here. And everybody just wants to pretend, you know, like like that's not a thing. That's, that's just something, oh, yeah, we're going to replace him with, you know, fifth-round, second-year guy Devon Godshaw, or we're going to replace him with, Vincent Taylor, you know, oh, yeah, give me a break. Or Jordan Phillips, the annual disappointment. Like, this is just not going to be an issue for the Dolphins. We're fine. And I think that that's denial. That's denial. That's everybody not quite coming to grips with the fact that this All-Pro is not there anymore. And so you look at that defensive line and you look at the defensive tackle position, and you got to say, as it's stacked up right now, this could be one of the worst defensive tackle positions in football. So they need some help there. And when we look at Vita Vea in the first round, who is the strongest defensive tackle in this draft, he does have all pro potential. And we can get into you know some of the specifics about what he does well uh, when we talk about the draft section. But when we talk about him, you know, you get all these Dolphins fans that just throw their hands up and they're like, you know, ah, I'm going to commit suicide if we take Vita Vea instead of. Uh, Derwin James or something like that. Hey, I like Derwin James. I like these other guys. But this defensive tackle position is poor, and they need some help there. Is it because he's not sexy? Derwin James is sexy. Minka Fitzpatrick is sexy. Tremaine Edmonds is sexy. Roquan Smith doesn't miss a tackle. He's sexy. Is it because Vita Vea 
is just not sexy. It's because people just saw Ndamukong Sue play here at a Hall of Fame level, and he made zero difference. That's why. Great point. Okay? I don't buy that at all. I don't buy well, that at uh, all. No, he did I, not I, make zero no, difference. No, I, think, I think the point I was making is that in terms of the overall picture, you know, the Dolphins didn't win a Super Bowl because Sue played at an all-pro level. Our run defense the... didn't even improve with Ndamukong Wait, Sue uh, here. You know, that's one of the misunderstandings about Ndamukong Sue's career in Detroit. I mean, he had a good run defense the last year, but one defensive tackle does not make a run defense, especially when you're running the wide nine, uh, you know, front. And this is notorious. It's supposed to be good on the outside edges, but it's not necessarily good on the inside, especially if you don't have the linebackers to to defend it. Chris, let me and ask you. A, I think let me ask you a question, Chris. Uh, I remember pretty clearly a couple of games that Rashad Jones almost single-handedly had a pretty big hand in winning. Cam Wake, I could name more than a handful. I could even name one Kiko Alonso game where he had a pretty huge hand in winning Char- the game. Can you name Chargers? one in Dominican Sioux game? I, I don't know. I can't. I can't name one offhand. No. Oh, there you go. But I, I don't the, think that says anything. No, I <laughs> if the, anything, that just says anything about the recall here. I didn't. I suppose I'm the not, just because that, I can't name a, a high graded game. The flip side to that though is, can you name a game that Aaron Donald has won single-handedly? Yeah, as good as Aaron Donald is, well, he, just by the very, but by the very nature of the defensive tackle position. Well, that wild card game last year was a snuff film. I don't know if you saw Aaron Donald in that game. He was insane. They still lost it though. Yeah, they did, but well, they, but he was noticeable. Of course, but he didn't win the game because they lost. No, he did not. I, mean, I, I, I can see both sides of the argument for sure. I just am not sure that a defensive tackle ever influences victory. But I also well, think I also well, think now now we're going to disagree on that because well, I, I got to I got to say, and I and I'll, I'll tell you this is. This is something that happened league wide in 2017, and it direct directly influences victory. If you know what I mean, he's not. You know, we talk about Kiko Alonso made the play against the Chargers. Rashad made the play against the Falcons. Can you name a yeah. play that American made? I mean, that, that, it, it's it's always it always comes back to we want the guys that scores touchdowns instead of the fat guys, right? But look look at what happened to the offenses in 2017. Okay, everybody knows that offenses have been on the rise for a decade, two decades, really. They, as more you know, college concepts sneak into the offensive game um, in the NFL, that college or these offenses are actually getting more effective passing the ball. They're getting more effective, you know, even running the ball and scoring more points. Well, you know what? That took a step back in 2017, and the reason is because defensive linemen, particularly fat guys stepped up and smacked offenses in the mouth. You can see this in the points per game production, which was way down. We're talking down to 2007 levels. Okay, you can see this in the run yardage, or the yards per carry across the league, which is way down to 2006, 2007 levels. You can see this in the yards per drop back for the quarterbacks, which is like basically dropped off the face of the earth. You can see it in the sacks and the hit as thrown and the uh, throwaway data for the quarterbacks, which is off the charts. Never seen it. Never seen it this higher in the last 12 years. And all of this was the defensive line. If you look at the grades, if you look at the analytics and the metrics that the defensive linemen were getting, it wasn't the quarterback holding the ball longer. It was defensive linemen beating the hell out of offensive linemen and really punching offenses in the mouth. And Dominican Sue was part of that. And Dominican Sue was a big part of that, along with guys like Aaron Donald, along with guys like Geno Atkins. Uh, and and now it's missing. Now we don't have that. Now we're going to go with, you know, William Hayes and, you know, on the interior, he's going to rush some. And and I'm just saying that these guys that are saying Vita, Vita Vea, no way, you know, we don't need to replace Dominican Sue. Well, you're missing the boat because the rest of the NFL is getting these big guys who are really good on the front line and they're making a difference. Listen, guys, I know, I know we've got to move on very quickly. Just two quick questions. Alf, you had a guy in mind for 11 that we had a sort of back and forth about uh, 90 minutes or so ago. And you made the point about I'm going to regret it in 10 years time when this guy's had 100 sacks. Name your poison uh, 11. Marcus Davenport. I see, okay, we have 5,000 defensive ends. I've never heard anybody complain, oh my God, we have too many good pass rushers on this team. What are we going to do? Well, then do you trade one? If you have a lot of good ones, you can trade one and, and 
maybe help yourself back into the second round. Who, who are you trading? Who am I trading out of all of our guys? Well, yeah. well, right now, no. I'm saying next year. Like, let's say Harris has a good year. You could trade him if he's the odd man out. And you have Marcus Davenport having a good rookie year. So I mean, Davenport will have a mulligan in 2018. Well, we don't know. Uh, he's no, he's well, perfectly I mean, fine physically to play at least 400, 500 snaps this year. If Won't he, happen. And I, I, think that's, I think that's actually a myth that the, the guys that come from, you know, uh, UTSA can't play right away or that the guys that are a little bit raw can't play right away. Uh, the guys that are physically marvelous can play right away. And that's because coaches know what to do with them. They can define them. They can put them in the roles in which they can win. And I think that Marcus Davenport actually does fit that. He fits a guy that might come out a little bit raw for your liking, but you can actually define what he does and he can win in certain ways. And he's very good at winning in those ways. You boys like him. No, you boys like him an awful lot. I'm not a big fan and I certainly don't think he's worthy of the 11. Give me a number on Marcus Davenport's sacks as a rookie. 6.5. Chris? I was going to go with more like 5.5 because the rookie numbers just in general. I mean, did you see the rookie class this year? Uh, just give us a number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 5.5, but the rookie right. class is never just a number. Know, sack production. Cool. Well, I mean, unless you're Alden Smith. But let's uh, – let's, right. one other quick thing that we haven't talked about is trading down. You know, people talk about who are we going to take, who are we going to take. There's ample opportunity for the Dolphins to potentially trade down. One trade down target I suspect that we could have is Ronnie Harrison, the safety from Alabama, who can play in the box, who can play as a single high, athletic enough to get sideline to sideline. One of those guys that probably is, you know, well – talked about because of the connections between Adam Gaze and Nick Saban, between the relationship between a new defensive back coach, obviously coming from Alabama, those sorts of things. I want to throw the name of Tyrell Crosby in there, a guy that talked to the Dolphins heavily at the Senior Bowl and said that the Dolphins had talked to him potentially about being their pick at 42. Just some of these names that sort of start to come into focus a little bit. You could potentially see a Dolphins trade down and coming away with a Harrison, a Crosby, perhaps a Kyle Letter, perhaps even a Darius Leonard who seems to be getting into that that kind of second round mix. What do you think about that quickly, guys, before we get to break? One guy I kind of am intrigued about, and he's that defensive tackle. If they could trade down and load up on picks. Please say Maurice first. He's okay. I don't think he's um, better than Tavon Bryant. Uh, I don't think he's better he's than special. Harrison Phillips. He's special. And I would take either one over Maurice Hurst. He's also an Uber driver. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. I, I did not See, know that. I, you'd know that I'm, if you watched all of intrigued with the Michigan Wolverines. Simon, I really thought you were going to give the <laughs> wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my hand is in that position that the president puts his hand in like that sort of weird sort of hand movement and like, yes yeah. wrong i'm gonna do that from now on when i don't like to you say wrong <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you what's wrong is the idea of trading down i don't <laughs> like it at all i think right. that at 11 you're gonna get at 11 you're gonna get basically i know that you know, it sounds like a joke but 11 you're gonna get basically a top 10 player especially since so many quarterbacks are going to go in uh, in the first 10 picks or the first even five picks. So you're going to be looking at guys. I mean, we're talking about guys with star power when we're talking about guys like Derwin James. And when we're talking about Bradley Chubb, who's not going to make it, but he's in that top 10 area. You're talking about Minka Fitzpatrick and, and, um, and Vita Vita Vea and Roquan Smith. I mean, we're talking about star power guys. How do you trade out of that? These are the guys that you have to trade picks for later to try and get onto your team. And we're going to trade out of that to try and take, you know, pseudo second round guys to plug holes and, and stuff like that. I'm not buying it. Right, Chris, take us to break, buddy. All right. Well, you've been listening to three yards per carry. It's now time for a break. We want you to listen to everybody in the five reasons sports network. And now we're going to have a word from some of those guys. We're doing something a little different on the Five Reasons Podcast. Until the Miami Heat are eliminated, Ethan and I will do review preview episodes after every game of the Heat's run in the NBA playoffs. It's a broken record with Dwayne where every time you think he's done, he turns in a performance like this. And he's doing it in that jersey. What were the odds in the summer of 2016 that we would ever see A, Dwayne Wade, do this in a playoff game again, and B, do it for the Miami Heat. We're trying to do them straight after the game's end and post overnight. So subscribe to the Five Reasons Podcast on iTunes or Google Play and follow along as the Heat go through the NBA playoffs. This week on the Ballscast, former Marlins president and current friend of the show, David Sampson, joins us to tell us how he dealt with a fan yelling fuck you at him with a little kid next to them. 
Slim and I and only Slim and I talk heat sixers, and we get properly baked talking about Rick Scott running for the Senate. Because how the hell else are we supposed to deal with the unending xenophobic fascist tyranny hellscape we're all currently living in? That plus so much more on this week's Balls Cast. Balls Cast. <laughs> I want you to remember to listen to the Miami Heat Beat on the Five Reasons Sports Network and also tune in to the Five Reasons cast with Ethan Skolnick and Chris Whittingham. After every Heat playoff game, they're going to have a podcast and do their recap. All right, guys. Now, we've talked a little bit about these other subjects and some of these culture questions, listener questions. We've already talked about the Dolphins' defense quite a bit. It's time to get into it a little bit more position by position. And first, I want to start out with the defensive line positions and see what your guys' thoughts. Think about what you have noticed the Dolphins are doing, what you want them to do. What do you think, Alf, about the acquisition of Robert Quinn and particularly the defensive end and defensive tackle positions, the loss of Indomitian Sue? Where do you think they are on the defensive line? Well, I like left end. We have Cameron Wake, so we're set there. We brought back William Hayes. He's going to play enough snaps where he's going to make a difference if he stays healthy. I kind of like Cameron Malvo also. Now, as far as Godshaw, Phillips, and Taylor, if we can add another body in there, and I kind of like Gabe Wright too, to to have a shot to make the rotation. If we can add another body in there, I think we can replace Ndamukong Sue in the aggregate. Now, at right end, I was pretty excited about Robert Quinn when we traded for him after I saw what you showed me. (laughs) His his pro football focus numbers, I'm not so excited, but I'm hopeful, let's say, hopeful for a renaissance, although I don't think it's going to happen. As far as Andre Branch and Charles Harris, wait and see on both. Andre Branch, I don't know if he's going to be on the team at all. Charles Harris, I kind of like him, but, you know, he has to produce first. And before we get to Simon, I'll just because he brought up the pro football focus numbers with respect to Robert Quinn, and I want to fill in the listeners on what he's referring to there. Uh, you know, we don't we try not to take the pro football focus numbers religiously, but one position where we do find some value is really the pressure rates and how often you're getting at the quarterback and whether you're doing it from the right end or left end position and, and how that stacks up versus the rest of the league. Not so much the ratings or the grades as the statistics. And Robert Quinn has really not had very good uh, efficiency at getting to the passer since you know for basically almost five years now so you know he, he'd be coming to Miami to try and you know have a little bit of a renaissance as far as his um his career goes but uh Simon I want to get your thoughts on the defensive line as well yeah I mean I think it's difficult isn't it when you take an all pro out of there like with Sue and you touched upon it in the first portion about you know and I I felt you were a little bit harsh on Davon Godshow and and Phillips and and Taylor in terms of the utter disdain that was in your voice but I mean it is a fair point you know when you we get so immersed in the draft and we get so kind of, and we talked about it last week with overthinking Roquan Smith. And it kind of feels like we're overthinking the defensive tackle position in that we're all right with these three guys. We're all right with these three guys. And then you kind of think, actually, are we really all right with them? What if Jordan Phillips breaks his leg in, you know, in training camp? like, then we're down to Taylor and, and Devon Godchow, who both played well, Godchow especially. But, you know, that would be a real concern. You know, you kind of feel like you, you slot in a Vita Vea at that point, especially with Phillips being in a contract contract year you know there's that has got to be an issue and you look at some of the guys that we talked about in terms of potential free agent signings the Benny Logans and the um the kid at Minnesota who went on to to um I think went to Tennessee and and all of a sudden those fields of being able to plug a guy in have kind of disappeared what the Dolphins have done very well whether you like it or not but you know they've added you know they added Frank Gore running back they added Escobar at tight end they brought in two receivers that they like they brought in a guard you know they've added a defensive end in Quinn line backer obviously stayed as it is but they tried to bring in Kenny Vaccaro at safety so they've tried to address some of the needs that we've talked about in terms of position but they haven't at all addressed defensive tackle so that's that's obviously a concern I think we're pretty good at end you know Cameron Wake we talk about it all the time personally as friends you know it feels like the guy's just gonna keep going and we say oh this will be his last year and then he has 10 sacks and plays really well and you think well next year will be his last year but he'll probably end up with 10 sacks again next year Charles Harris kind of felt like the nearly man last year kind of near how, how many nearly sacks did Charles Harris have I mean he, he probably had one and a half actual sacks and probably 10 and a half nearly sacks where he was half a step away can he make the difference in that can he close that half a step down 
Andre Branch, can he bounce back to two seasons ago, or is somebody potentially going to going to deal for him, especially if you know there's an early training camp injury, that sort of thing. So you know, I think defensive tackle a problem. I was really glad they re-signed William Hayes. I think that's a you know that's a a, a real plus for us, and I, I think in the rotation. Robert Quinn will probably be fine, but I, I, I do worry about defensive tackle. Well, I think that uh, at defensive tackle, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take the other side. I'm gonna see the other side on this because I've I've ripped them to pieces now. Um, but I think that at defensive tackle, the thesis that they're gonna run with here is that we have a run stopper in Devon Godchow, and he and he showed that he can stop the run pretty well. Uh, Vincent Taylor played really well for the time that he did play. Uh, and I do agree with that. I actually, I liked him coming out of the draft, and uh, I think that he was a worthwhile day three player. And what we need, actually, at the defensive tackle position is we need more pass rush. And so we're not getting that with big fat guys in defensive tackles. We're going to stick William Hayes in there, and he's going to rush the passer. We're going to stick more defensive ends at the defensive tackle position. So if you're talking about Ndamukong Sue's 900 sa- snaps, some of them are going to be taken up with guys like William Hayes uh, shifting inside and rushing. And Charles Harris, who we mentioned before, uh, rushing it on the inside. And that's part. That's sort of what they're thinking. And I, I understand that. I really do. But it's just like you said, Simon. I think that we're going to step back and we're going to say, wait a minute, you know, are we really okay at this position? Because what happens if you do get an injury and then you're Gabe Wright in there all the time? Uh, or what happens if Devon Godchow just doesn't take the next step? Or Jordan Phillips, who seems to never take the, the next step and isn't very good against the run, even though he should be. You know, he's built like a, a run-defending guy. He's never been that. Uh, what happens if nobody really steps up there and all of a sudden we're getting run on from our base packages? And that's something that you have to pay attention to. Um, and it's, it's something I haven't gone into on this podcast yet, but the, the weaknesses of the Miami Dolphins' defense in 2017 were, there were four of them, really. And you're talking about these the packages. You're talking about base package, nickel package, dime package, which they never use, but so really just base and nickel. Out of the base, they were terrible in pass coverage. They were 26th in the NFL out of base packages. And this is where you see things like tight end coverage come into play. They were 32nd in the league against the tight end. And this is mostly out of base defensive personnel packages. Nickel package, they were awful against the run, just flat off. They were 30th in the NFL uh, against the run out of nickel packages. This is looking at everybody when they have their nickel package on the field. How, how are everybody doing against the run? The third one is third and long, third and five to third and ten in particular. Worst in the league, absolute worst in the league. And this is where we talk about sometimes why no dime defense and, you know, my complaints that I have there. I don't understand it. Um, But that's where that comes into play. And then the red zone conversion rate, where, again, the run defense comes into it. Uh, Red zone conversion rate, there were 30th in the league and touchdowns scored. Uh, So every time we're looking at these uh, potential acquisitions, you have to look at these four aspects and come back to it. And when I see an Indomitian Sioux there, I'm like, I'm looking at, well, that doesn't help your run defense out of nickel. And also, you might spring a leak in the, the run defense out of base, which you didn't have before. And now all of a sudden that might be there. Because I know you're saying that the defense wasn't that great with Indomitian Sioux, so how could it be worse without him? It can always get worse. Ask the New Orleans Saints. They had some of the worst defenses anybody's ever seen. And it can always get worse. And that's why I'm saying, like, if they don't plug that hole, then they got to worry. I think so, it really comes down to Kiko Alonso and what is Raekwon McMillan. If Kiko can return to his 16 form, which wasn't all that great, but he did make plays. Christ, we're in trouble if we're relying on Kiko Alonso. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> but if Raekwon McMillan is a player, you know, a lot of our problems are going to go away especially in that base. Now, Kiko Alonso, I would point anybody that wants to see how bad he was to two games last year, the Carolina game and the Ravens game. He didn't look like a professional football player in those two games, in both of them. He couldn't run. He he didn't want to hit very much unless he was going to hit Flacco late. And he was overrunning the hole. He was constantly out of position. He couldn't keep up with anybody in the flat. Now, he was either injured or we bought damaged goods, and we should be looking to replace him this season. Is Raekwon McMillan the most important player on the Miami Dolphins defense this season, given expectation from last season, 
what he was able to do in training camp and the dearth of talent that we have at that position. Absolutely. Chris? I think right now the way they're stacking up he is, and that's because if if we're to assume that they're going to not use dime defense at all again, uh, next year, which they didn't use it at all. The rest of the league uses it about you know 24% of the time, and they don't use it at all. If that's gonna if that's gonna be the case again, then yeah, he is very important because this linebacker unit was pathetic last year. Um, given their overuse, these guys are slow, and he's the only one with some speed aside from um, Stephen Anthony, who was used coverage specialist. And I say that's hilarious because if you knew him coming out of Clemson, pass coverage was the question mark. So that brings us really, we talked about linebacker, we talked about the defensive line, and what about the secondary? The secondary of the Dolphins as they're stacked right now. I mean, Simon, do you have any any thoughts about what we're getting? Are we getting back Tony Lippett? Is that going to make a different position with TJ McDonald and Rashad Jones? I, I think we talked about before, Adam Gase had some very interesting comments about that chemistry. As, as Simon, what are, what are you thinking there? Yeah, let's take corner first. I mean, obviously, we you know we talk about it often. The modern day NFL teams are in. I mean, nickel is base now. Nickel defense is base defense. So you know, and what we mean by that is five defensive backs on the field, pretty much 65, 70 percent of the time. Most teams are in. So you're going to have to have five, potentially six good cornerbacks. Really, you look at a team like the Denver Broncos, for example, last season with Aqib Talib and Bradley Roby on the outside and Chris Harris in the slot. I mean, there's three really, really good cornerbacks, and that's kind of what you need. That we have a difference of opinion around Xavier Howard but I think Howard is getting better he is improving and he certainly played well I think down the stretch last season Cordray Tankersley at times flashed ability to be a starter the concussion didn't help him but he looks like you know he there was some there was some mix-ups in coverage and some communication lapses and, uh, but you know he I, I didn't think he played too badly Lippick again looked like he was getting a little bit better, a little bit better week on week on week. You know, the guy was a receiver at Michigan State, became a cornerback, long, long arms coming off the Achilles tear. Let's see where he's at. I like Bobby McCain. I think he's one of the superior slot guys in in this league. And let's remember, you know, you don't have to be a great slot cornerback to be an effective slot cornerback because actually if you're getting average slot cornerback play because I think it's the most difficult position to play in the league you're doing okay and I think McCain is certainly in that upper echelon of slot corners he's also in a contract year this will be his final year so you know potentially does he move on so I think you know uh, we look at the absolute cluster 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 that was Werner last year you know came on for one play got burned for the long touchdown went straight back to the bench again you know that's the kind of thing that you want to try and avoid so you know I I, I think there are certainly pieces in play you'd like to think that Xavier develops a little bit you'd like to think that Lippitt comes back and is okay you'd like to think that Tank comes back and develops there's probably room for another guy potentially in there you know is X a number one is he a kind of a one and a half is he really a two who knows you know certainly he flashed ability down the stretch other times he looked a little bit lost certainly earlier in the season so we shall see and then safety is just fascinating because you know we talked about it endlessly. We've talked about it privately and on the, uh, and on this pod. TJ McDonald got a massive contract for what he did running around in shorts in the summer. But his fee, his wages for next year, what he earns to play is minimal. So there is A, it's not guaranteed that he starts because, you know, they're paying him one and a half million dollars next season. It's also not guaranteed that he's even on the roster next season. You know, does he... Does he move up and play a, a sort of hybrid linebacker position like Dion Buchanan if they draft another safety? Who knows? You know, it was clear from Adam Gaze at the at the owners' meeting when the coaches had their coaches' breakfast that Gaze wasn't particularly happy with the way that McDonald and, and Jones worked. There certainly wasn't the, the chemistry that he'd seen in training camp. Rashad is not going anywhere. He's a he's a you know borderline elite player for us. Uh, and you know when he does he does a lot of things very well. You know, do they need a pure safety? Who's Gonna, who, who has the ability to play single high, the kind of the Earl Thomas kind of ball hawky type who can sit deep and cover sideline to sideline to allow TJ and Rashad to potentially play a little bit higher up in the field. Who, you know, There are question marks around the safety position, which is why we talk about a Derwin James, a Minka Fitzpatrick, a Ronnie Harrison, a Jesse Bates, a Justin Reed from Stanford. You know, These are not names that we're just throwing out there willy-nilly. These are names that clearly the team feel like there is an issue at the safety position. Beyond the two starters, Maurice Smith, they talk about you know wherever he comes in, he doesn't let himself down. He's a core special teamer, but really you're not, you, do, you don't really want to start with Maurice, Walt Aikens, you know, cross trains, cornerback safety, but again, you're not going to want to see him on the field. So 
I definitely think there is a potentially an addition of one cornerback and an addition of a safety coming in the draft. Alf, uh, I want to ask you about Xavier Howard particularly uh, because we've had a lot of con- conversations between the three of us about Byron Maxwell and what he was coming off 2016. And do you think, I mean, with Byron Maxwell, it was sort of like he played half the year out of his mind. And then the other half of the year, he was either, you know, taking some time off injury-wise or he was playing pretty terrible football. Uh, Xavier Howard played half the year really, really terribly, I thought, at the beginning of the year. But then Mm -hmm. the second half of the year came on and was incredible. So which one do we, is, is he a risk like Byron Maxwell was? Or do you buy the growth story of him being a young player and the light just turned on? Nah, he's not a risk like Byron Maxwell. Byron Maxwell, we saw his year in Philadelphia and we saw the end of his career in Seattle. You know, he's he's a formed player. Uh, Xavier Howard is essentially, you know, brought up through here. His last eight games was as good as any corner in the AFC. Now, do we just bank on him being that? Because if he is that, He's among the best corners in the NFL already. So I would say totally agree. I would say I would lean heavily toward we actually hit on somebody for once. So yeah, no, I'm hopeful on Xavier Howard. He's not who I have a problem with. You know, Cordell Hope Springs Eternal. Yeah. Cordell Tankersley, that's that's the one that, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more because he actually came on really good to start the season and then slowly faded which is normal for a rookie, but I would like to see more from him. I think you're right on Xavier Howard. I think he has potential to take the next step to be an elite corner from what happened back into the season. I, I, I really think that. And, let's, yeah, let's, and, not and forget, let's not forget his reputation from his first camp here, that some of the coaches were whispering that this wasn't the toughest guy, that he wouldn't play through many injuries. Who knows if he started the season off and he had some knick-knack injuries. Who knows what he had? Maybe he had a slightly tweaked ankle or you know a sore hamstring or whoever, whatever it was maybe that was the issue and if he's healthy and he got healthy in the last eight games and that's what he produced then i think we're gonna be pretty happy with his career here. fair point would but would you think that cordrea tankersley in particular because we saw issues with him i thought we saw mostly issues in communication mm-hmm. with him yeah so i mean do you think that the addition of tony odin at defensive backs coach and ronaldo hill who's made it back to miami this time as a coach I mean, do you think that's sort of aimed there specifically at Xavier Howard and Cordrea Tankersley? Like, let's make these guys work? Yeah, I would say so. I, I would say that uh, all the moves this year in the coaching staff was basically, you know, I, I wouldn't say trashing the previous administration here, but it's, yeah, they were trashing the previous administration. They were basically, <laughs> they, they were, they were uh, every move that they made on the coaching staff was basically saying, okay, you remember every unit that underperformed last year? It was their fault. It wasn't the guys that we picked. <laughs> I guess we get to see this year. Isn't there a, I think you should know, Simon, is, isn't there a Jordan Whitehead? Wasn't he coached by Ronaldo Hill last year? Yes, he was, yeah. Okay, yeah. it, wouldn't he be an interesting guy? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a number of interesting guys just under the radar, and you know, and I think Whitehead is one of them. I think the kid Tarvarius Moore is potentially, uh, you know, he's a guy, Chris. Don't you think he could end up sneaking into maybe even to the second round? I mean, those some of those workout numbers are ridiculous, aren't they? Yeah, his workout numbers were really ridiculous, but he was he was just a very solid safety when yeah. you watch him on film. You know, to begin with, it's not. Uh, it, it reminded me a little bit, and I don't want to. I don't want to trash him by comparing him to a, a player that some people feel was was bad. But Chris Clemens was um, was a player that, even though some people didn't like him, his speed that he had on the defense really affected what offenses could do against us. And I think in particular, it put a cap on a lot of big plays. Well, Simon just talked a little bit about safeties, and we already trashed our linebacking core this last segment. So, Chris, how do we help the linebacking core in this draft this year? I think you have to go back to what I was saying about the weaknesses on the defense and the you know pass coverage out of base, run defense out of nickel, the third and long, which was terrible. They had no dime defense. Uh, They didn't put nine personnel out there at all. That has to change. Uh, And so at linebacker, you're looking at it. I have to go back a little bit to the safety issue because safety and linebacker are really interconnected uh, by means of, of in particular, TJ McDonald, who can play, you know, up front as sort of a rover or a whip safety. 
uh, in a three safety look. And that's what a lot of defenses are doing. So a linebacker can get a lot better if you just get a safety. And that's why we're talking about guys like Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick in the first round. Mm -hmm. Uh, These guys could play a thousand snaps and make TJ McDonald more of a role player on the defense. And it would be a role that would help your linebackers unit. Um, but at the at the draft level, if they're going to get a linebacker, particularly in the first round, I think that we're talking about Roquan Smith. And I understand that there is some concern about his size and what he's good at and can he get off blocks. Well, first off, I don't really buy that he doesn't get off blocks because I've, I've seen him do it so many times that I just have a problem with people saying, you know, kind of portraying him as one of those guys. Um, I think that he's a special player. He's a guy with special instincts, and that position is about having special instincts. We know because we were here when Zach Thomas was playing. Uh, He sees it fast, and then he pulls the trigger, and he accelerates through it. He tackles really well. He does not miss tackles. Simon, you've talked about this before. Didn't miss a single tackle last year, not one. Does not miss tackles. So how are you going to be worried about the size? So I think that you can toss that out if he tackles well and he accelerates well and runs sideline to sideline and you see him getting around and getting off blocks, which I think you do. And Lewis Riddick talked about this, you know, pop on the Tennessee game. He gets off the blocks pretty, pretty well in that game. Uh, You can see it all over the place. I think that he is a star player. Star players tend to transcend the defensive schemes. And so if you're looking at him at 11 overall, then you'd have to be happy taking him and what it could do to that linebacker position, because going back to the weaknesses, pass coverage at a base, you have Roquan Smith's speed on the field now, his instincts. You're going to be able to cover those running backs out of the backfield a lot better. You're going to be able to cover those wheel routes a lot better. Uh, you look at the run defense on nickel, and that's that's his specialty. He's a good run defender. He's got great instincts, and he can he can get after he can get after guys coming out and trying to get out of the backfield, and he can he can really attack and hit people behind the line of scrimmage. And then third and long, you know, again we're coming, getting back now to the pass defense. I think he's an every down sort of guy. Uh, he can affect every single level of the Dolphins' weaknesses, and that's where I would think about if I were going to go a linebacker in this draft, and then I'm staring straight at Rokon Smith. Now, Simon, I'm going to give you, you a are- guy, and you could give me an alternative if you want. I was listening to NFL Network today, and I'm pretty big on comparables, and I heard uh, something that made me perk up. I heard the name C.J. Mosley and Rashawn Evans in the same sentence. What do you think about that? I, I think that Rashawn Evans might end up being the best Alabama linebacker. You know, and you look back at the the guys that have come out over the last few years, Upshaw and Reuben Foster, and uh, I think Rashawn Evans might end up being the best of the bunch. And I think that because you can use him in so many different ways. I think that, you know, he will be a three-down linebacker in the NFL for me. Uh, and I've, I was lucky enough last season to be on the sideline for the LSU game. Uh, and the Mississippi State game. And it's interesting when you watch him and Fitzpatrick and the way they play, but also when you're down at field level, there's just something about players who are just that little bit quicker. You know, and everybody's quick, everybody's fast because it's SEC football. But these the, the two guys were just, they were quicker. They were in the right spot. They had an understanding of what they were supposed to do on every single down. And they led. They led by example. And what I think you can do with Evans and what shows up a lot on film is that, you know, you can play him as an ordinary three-down linebacker and he can cover. And I think he he does a, a fine job in coverage. But also, Chris, going forwards, doesn't he? You know, in terms of blitzing yeah. and, and rushing the pass, he's a real threat as a as a pass rusher, isn't he? I mean, he he's, can really he's get after it. Pass I mean, isn't it? Isn't he? I mean, he can really get after the quarterback. For me, he's uh, again, he's another guy that people aren't really talking about, aren't really talking about. But he, you know, he will fly around sideline to sideline, uh, and I think, you know, he showed that sort of mentality of, you know, we talked about it a, a little bit when Foster graduated and, you know, we kept saying Evans could be the kid, Evans could be the kid, Evans could be the kid. You know, he's just got everything that, you know, he's built well. He's got great size. He's a, uh, I suppose he's a premium, premium athlete at that position. You know, he's got the agility. He's got the range. He's explosive. He diagnoses really quickly. He can work through trash to get to the ball. You know, he can get to the perimeter and shut off sweeps and jet sweeps and those sorts of things. 
I don't think there's a great deal of drop-off when you take the top two guys, your, your Roquan Smith and your Tremaine Edmonds, to get down to a to get down to a Rashad Evans. I just think he's a I just think he's a good player who can play in sub packages, either as a you know you can drop him into coverage or you can get him after the quarterback because he just does that really really well. Part of the reason that he's being forgotten is a little bit his own fault because he was supposed to run his forty at his pro day yeah. and. He chose not to, and so everybody's kind of like, well, what are you scared of? Uh, because he did other measurements there, and so and his other measurements didn't come out so good, although that might point to you know, his argument, which would be, I'm still a little bit hurt. You know, This isn't fair to me. So do, you have part a concern, of, do you have a concern that he played behind monsters on the defensive line at Alabama, and therefore they sort of hid some of his deficiencies? Uh, it's a devil's advocate question rather than a, you know, but playing behind, you know, Deshaun Hand and, you know, uh, these guys, Deron Payne and these guys, do you think that that masks some of his issues potentially? Yeah, I, I think you always have to have a little bit of concern, especially as these guys are moving from that defense where they had the monsters in front of them protecting them uh, to a wide nine style front like Miami's where they're not going to be protected as well. Uh, and but it's the same issue for Roquan Smith. I mean, they had the same style of defense. They had the same big bodies up front uh, at Georgia that could help protect the linebackers. So, you know, whether we're talking about it for Rashawn Evans or Roquan Smith, it's really the same thing about the translation. And if you buy that, he's a star player. Rashawn Evans reminds me a little bit, actually, of uh, the guy that's leaving, Lawrence Timmons. And I don't mean that in the bad way. I mean the Lawrence Timmons, you know, back when he was young and explosive and really good. And um, and I think that he's a guy that going forward, he's a guy that blitzes well like Timmons does. He's a guy whenever I watched the Alabama defense, it was really uncanny. You know, you could sort of you could sort of pull your eyes back and just take in the defense as a whole. And to your point, which you said about what you saw on the field, uh, he was moving quicker than everybody else. He He was, was he was he was the guy that was moving faster. So. You know, am I scared because he hasn't run his 40 yet? Well, I have to go back to that and say, you know, he just seemed like he was the guy that was always moving faster than everybody, uh, everybody else. And I've I've loved him for a couple of years. So, you know, no, no shame if they end up picking him. But I want to get into the secondary now. Kind of touched on it a little bit. But there are secondary players that we like uh, in this draft, especially at 11 overall. And maybe we haven't given them their due as far as what makes them so great and what makes them good players um, and why we should be happy with them if they are the pick at 11 overall. Alf, I want to toss this to you. You can pick between Minka Fitzpatrick or Derwin James, or you can pick a different secondary player if you like. You know, what do you see in those guys that makes them so great? Well, um, Derwin James, he's just a, a ball of energy. I'm big on comparables. I said it in the last segment. He reminds me of Rashad Jones, if Rashad Jones can cover. Meaning, he's one of these sticky guys. And what I mean by sticky is that he manages to stick to the ball. Wherever it's going, he's going to make a play. He's going to find himself in in the biggest moment of the game. He's going to make that play that you're going to remember. You're going to say, okay, I remember why we won this game, why we held on to this lead. It was because of that. Now, Minka Fitzpatrick is a little bit different. You turn me on to him because... I was pretty much underwhelmed by him when I watched him this year at Alabama. What I do see by Minka Fitzpatrick is everything that everybody else says about him, which is he's incredibly smart. The times I have seen him, he looks sound to me, and he is very versatile. But there's one guy that we never mention, and I don't think he's going to get there to 11, but if he does get there to 11, and I don't see how we pass him up, and that's Denzel Ward. Best feet, best feet I've seen in three or four years in terms of cornerback feet. Uh, I mean, I think he's got elite footwork. And he's small, he's undersized, but you can play him on the perimeter, you can play him inside uh, a slot, and you can, you know, he could be a Chris Harris kind of guy. But his footwork is absolutely outstanding, outstanding. Do you I worry agree. at all, Simon, about um, about the fact that he only has two career interceptions? I mean, Shaquem Griffin. The one-handed linebacker has two career interceptions at Central Florida. Uh, do you worry that Denzel Ward only has two? Like, why? I, why is that? I do, but then do you not wonder whether or not teams just haven't thrown at him, and therefore he's had less of an opportunity to intercept the ball than? Uh, although I suppose you can make the point that Shaquem doesn't get the ball thrown at him as well. It doesn't concern me. It doesn't overly concern me anyway. You know, I I, I think 
I mean, it is what it is. I, I wonder, and I haven't seen the, the number of targets you've had and compared that to a Jair Alexander or Mike Hughes or Josh Jackson and, and whether or not his number is significantly less. But it doesn't overly concern me. I mean, he had, what, nine pass breakups last season? You know, I think he tied Marshawn Lattimore's career record at Ohio State for pass breakups over the last two seasons. So, you know, I, 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 it doesn't overly concern me. I mean, yeah, you'd certainly like him to make more interceptions, but, you know, he's a good player. He's a really good player. I got another guy that I, I find very, very interesting also, and that's, you remember two years ago when Desmond King was considered a top five cornerback prospect, and then leading up to the draft, he fell off the face of the earth, got taken by San Diego. We saw him in his rookie year. He's obviously a very good NFL performer. What about Josh Jackson? Is it the same thing happening with him now? I heard the other day that Jackson was absolutely destined to go in the top 12. Really? Um, I was concerned, very concerned, <laughs> by what happened at the Combine. I mean, I don't know what what you guys were, but when I saw him doing the, some of those drills yes. and his utter inability to be to, to even complete. He looked clumsy. He couldn't complete. He couldn't complete the W drill. I mean, he just he just didn't have a clue. His footwork was all over the place. It was like he was. It was like he put one of us three out there and was just you know <laughs> jumping jumping after Minka Fitzpatrick and before Denzel Ward and run a few drills and which made and him very looked, very very different from Desmond King. It looked appalling. That would give me a concern. Uh, another concern would be that he's a one year guy in terms of you know his performances have just come in that final year at Iowa. Um, he gets his hands on, you know, he's the antithesis of Denzel Ward, if you like. He gets his hands on an awful lot of balls. He's long, you know, he's long. He's got long arms. I mean, what is he, six, six one, six two? Chris, I mean, he's a long guy. Yeah, uh, he, he reminds guy. me, he reminds me a little bit in terms of, I, I mean, he had, uh, I think, did he have something like 30 passes defense last year and seven picks, which is a ridiculous number. He reminds me a little bit of Sam Madison. Do you remember when Madison used to get all, he had that season, him and Pat Satan. And Madison did such a great job of breaking off his route to essentially drive on the ball that was going in a different direction. And that's how he got a lot of his interceptions. Josh, Josh Jackson does that. He really reads the field really well. He's got that sort of peripheral vision that you really like. You know, he's a, he's got terrific instincts, plays the ball rather than the man. You know, he's a good player. I just, uh, one year wonder, oh, I don't know how many games did Iowa play last year? 13, maybe 13 starts. And just some of that combine stuff just frightened the life out of me. Absolutely frightened the life out of me. I'm just, uh, I'm just not sure. I just want to touch quickly on the a point that you made about safeties earlier on, which, which, you know, you draft a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, and again, you know, this is analysis by paralysis, and we talk about oh. Minko is going to go top five, then he's going to be available at 11, then he's going to fall to the Packers at 14, then he's going to fall out the first round. Nobody, you know, who knows? But a guy like Minko, a guy like Derwin James, what they do is two things that the Dolphins defense doesn't have a lot of. One is speed, and two, it allows us to disguise coverages because it allows us to play different formations with the same personnel on the field. So, you know, you can play Minka in a 4-3, you can play a nickel, you can play a big nickel. Minka can play left corner, right corner, slot, free safety strong safety and and big nickel linebacker just the ability to be able to confuse offenses by keeping the same personnel on the field but mixing them up is going to finally allow this defense to actually do a few confusing things that you see other teams doing and we fall into the trap well maybe we can flip it this time and you know because there are some jack in the boxes in terms of these safety guys that you can come in and you can just mold them into different parts of a of almost a play-by-play in terms of where they line up and try and confuse the Bradys and the yeah, look, let's face it, we're probably going to be facing Baker Mayfield and <laughs> one of Josh's twice a season. For God the, help us. Yeah. You know, but just that ability that that's what these guys do. So people, you know, some people that I'm sure that have asked you, the three of us on Twitter, I know that we've all done the, we've all taken over the five reasons uh, um, Twitter account and, and done some Q and A's, which have been great. And, and we've had a lot of questions about why are people talking about safety? Why? Well, this is the reason because they can. They're so versatile, and they just offer Matt Burke, the defensive coordinator, the opportunity if he takes it to just mix up some some things, but keeping that same personnel on the field so that teams are, you know, they, they don't know. Oh, look, here comes the nickel guy, or here comes the dime guy, or whatever th- those sorts of things. So that's what we talk about when we get really excited about the safeties. If you're kind of not a you know, an in-depth draft guy like, you know, like some people are, are out there. So now I do want to get the defensive end aside from, you know, obviously Simon's favorite guy, Marcus Davenport. Uh, 
we got to talk about some of the defensive ends. Personally, I mean, my my opinion of the defensive ends has been that they suck after you get to the the top after you get through with the top group. But I understand that not everybody thinks that. Alf, what do you think? Well, there's one that one guy that's pretty intriguing. Uh, the Dolphins did meet with Josh Sweat earlier this season. Another guy that I've heard linked to them kind of is Arden Key. But the guy that really intrigues me is Ugh. Lorenzo Carter out of Georgia. He's long, lean. He has a great first step, and if you watch his hands on film, he's reminiscent of the best of what we get from Branch. Can we replace Branch and his giant contract with, let's say, the 42nd pick in the the draft? Would that be so bad if we managed to pick him up there? I would say that, uh, no, we're probably not going to get a crack at Lorenzo Carter at 42 overall. Everything that I've heard is that he's going to go first round, that he's going to go really high. You look at what he did athletically and what he does at Georgia and the versatility that he has. It's not just the pass rush, and he was pretty good at pass rush there, but it was the versatility. It was I looked at what he did against the tight end, and this is some of the underrated tape that you find out there is what he does jamming tight ends at the line, staying in coverage with them. He he runs in the four he's six foot five and he's two hundred and fifty pounds or whatever, and and he runs in the four fours, you know, solidly in the four four. So you have no problem with him staying in man coverage on these tight ends. Uh, but what he can do is he can also be really physical with them at, at the line of scrimmage. And so I look at him and, and this is, this might be a, a poor comparison and as much as people aren't going to be impressed by it, but he reminds me a little bit of a Manny Lawson who played Sam linebacker in the NFL for a number of years and was actually a tight end specialist, a good coverage tight end specialist because he couldn't really rush the passer. Well, Lorenzo Carter, we don't know that he's going to go the route of never being able to rush the passer like Manny Lawson did. Uh, we we think that uh, that he he might actually be good at rushing the passer, but I don't think he's going to make it to 42, so it's going to be sort of a moot uh, point here. Uh, if we move down and we go into, you know, from 11 to in the 20s or something like that, then we're talking. But, um, but otherwise, at defensive end, I think, Simon, I think you've talked about him a little bit um, at, at Oklahoma. Uh, the Ogmania, um how, how do I pronounce it? <laughs> you've got it. You've got it better than I do. Uh, what do you think of him? Because I, he's always looked just stellar and borderline unblockable at times. But physically, you know, what is he? Yeah, I mean, he's undersized, isn't he? Because he's, what is he, six foot, 240 pounds? I mean, you know, that's what the concern is. But you know, and he, he didn't run very fast at the combine, but when you put on the field, I mean, he reminds me a little bit of Hassan Reddick from Temple last year, who went to the Cardinals in the first round. But he's got, I mean, he can get, he can get after the quarterback in terms of you talk about a guy like Harold Landry, who's got that elite first step and can bend the edge and get to the quarterback. Okoronkwo is, I mean, he has real uh, kind of situational pass rush ability in terms of a guy you might want to get in maybe the fourth or fifth round that's going to come on and you, you just you just say, look, dude, rush the quarterback. All you need to do is get after the quarterback because he has that kind of, you know, doesn't have the height, weight, length that teams are going to uh, teams are going to you know uh, crave at that position. But crikey, he has the he has the ability to burst off the ball and get after the quarterback. I think he's a, you know, I think he's a solid rotational guy that you're going to get in the in the later rounds. Who's going to be knocked down because of his height, weight, um, uh, numbers. Alf talked about the guy Josh Sweat from Florida State. I mean, Sweat is an interesting guy because he had the elite combine numbers, but actually, you know, Sweat's knee is going to be a. Ma- I mean, I, I'm a Florida State fan, and I know some people within the within the school there in terms of the athletic side of things. And how can I say this without giving away too much information? I mean, I think, I think I was told, in fact, I know I was told at one stage that essentially Josh Schwett's knee is kind of made of cheese in terms of, I mean, okay. he had, I mean, he had this, I mean, they almost amputated his, the bottom half of his leg in 2014 after he dislocated his knee and suffered arterial damage. Um, and, and the doctor came into the room and said, buddy we're gonna have to take off the bottom half of your leg because there's no blood getting to the to the bottom half and and essentially the foot's gonna die so what you're saying is that there's a red flag there i'm saying (laughs) there might be a red flag around the josh sweat knee i mean that would be a concern for me i mean you know not all cheeses are created equally so are we talking about (laughs) this is 
he'll probably end up having 20 sacks and winning defensive player of the year now that I've given him the Edam <laughs> now that I've given him Edam knee. Well, the, in defense of Ogbania Okoronkwo, uh, that, and I got I, I got the name this time. Um, <laughs> this the difference between him physically and Charles Harris from a year ago is really just a matter of of an inch of height. You know the the weight is is right on. Yeah. Uh, if you look at what they did, what what Charles Harris did in his pro day with his vertical and his broad jump, uh, you know that was pretty much exactly what Okoronkwo did at his at the combine actually, um, and his pro day in terms of vertical. He did a 38 inch vertical. He's not a he's not a slouch athletically. No. Um. So I think that he and Charles Harris actually compare a lot. Uh, in term physically terms, at, but also their effectiveness at getting to the passer uh, any way possible. So you know, it he plays with great leverage as well. I think he, oh, you know yeah. he uses yeah. his height really well in terms of leverage, and which is obviously really important in terms of you know winning that hand battle with with, with tackles, especially guys that are you know potentially seven inches taller, six seven inches taller than him. So I, I like him. I think he's a you know could be a really he was on un- he was unblockable at the Senior yeah. Bowl. Totally, totally. Well, we got to go, guys, but you can get to Simon on Twitter at S.I. Clancy, Chris at C.K. Parrot, and me, Alf, at Uptown Report. Remember to listen to the Ballscast, Miami Heat Beat, and the flagship podcast, Five Reasons, on the Five Reasons Network. Next week is our big NFL draft preview special. So talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.